Hi, welcome to BCI Cattle Chat. I'm Brad White. Happy to have you with us today and happy to have a full crew here in studio. Good morning, Brian. Good morning, Brad. Philip. Hey, Brad. Bob. Hello, guys. And we've got a special guest, Dr. Shelby Varner. I almost gave you a doctorate right there. So <laughs> Shelby is the host of Ag Today. So she is starting on the K-State program. Has actually been on there a little over a month. So we're happy to have you with us. Good morning, Shelby. Good morning, Brad. So we're going to talk about a couple things today, including we're going to talk about what Ag Today is and what some of the topics that Shelby covers, as well as Brian and Philip are going to dive into product storage. And we've got another guest coming on, Dr. Eduardo Bortoluzzi, who's going to tell us a little bit about animal welfare and research. I know those are important topic guys, but I've got a, a maybe a more important question to ask you this morning because it's we're right into the heat of summer. And the other day, I had just a plain vanilla milkshake, and it is darn hard to beat. I want to know what your go-to milkshake flavor is. Is anybody as boring as me with vanilla, or do you have something else that you want? Go-to chocolate. But I, I do kind of like strawberry and vanilla as, as kind of, tr- you know, something wild and crazy once in a while. So wild and crazy is strong. Oh, you mix them together? No, 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 no. Oh, just, yeah. <laughs> not, that, not that wild and crazy. Just, okay. Just to get off the norm. Okay. Philip? Um, you know, it's been a long time since I've had a milkshake, really. Yeah, I mean, you said that. It's like, wow, that sounds good. I need to go get one. But I don't know, probably chocolate or strawberry. I don't usually go vanilla unless it's got some kind of additive in it, you know, like chocolate chip chunks or you know something like that vanilla with chocolate added is basically chocolate Chocolate, yeah (laughs) but they're just small chunks it's not all mixed up it's not a a solution or a homogenous mixture gotcha shelby i'm personally a caramel fan oh yeah that's a good the better that's a good flavor because some places you go and they've got all the different ice creams out and they're like we'll make you a milkshake out of whatever you want and my son made fun of me because i was like yep just the just the vanilla vanilla. don't need all the others so Shelby, tell us a little bit about you. We've gotten to know you several years ago as you worked with us here at BCI, but tell us about you, your background, and what you're doing now. Yeah, so I grew up on a family farm near Wichita, Kansas, a cow-calf operation, row crops, hay. My dad and uncle currently run that operation, and so still go back quite a bit on the weekends and spend as much time there annoying them and my sisters as possible. About a little over 10 years ago, my sisters and I started a dairy and meat goat herd that's also still functioning. I have a very lucky and thankful for my middle sister who stays at home and still takes care of that pretty much full time. From there, I went to Butler Community College, then came to K-State as a transfer student and met all of you guys before. I interned here and with Ag Today over a couple summers ago and kind of came full circle. And after I completed my Ag Comm degree at K-State, was presented this opportunity and I'm very happy to be at Ag Today. Awesome. We need to hear more about Ag Today. But first, where do you sell the milk from the goats or how do you sell the milk and the meat from your herd? So our, we don't sell much of the meat, just a little bit. A lot of them just go on down the road, per se. Dairy-wise, we feed some back to our cattle. Sometimes we'll let the milk go sour and feed it to the chickens, make some soap and lotion. My sister makes a little bit of cheese that eventually gets made into dog treats. And then a lot of times when there was a formula shortage or like young babies have trouble with other milk, a lot of times goat milk is a good resource for them. Or even we have a person who gets it for their deer. For their deer? Mm-hmm. Oh, for bottle feeding deer? Yep. Yeah. And chickens like sour milk? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's what they'll drink anything, but usually like we just let it sit outside for a little bit and then, yeah, they're big fans. They don't like it fresh. They like it sour. I'm sure they would drink it either way or like, you know, take it in either way, but 
Yeah. Chickens eat darn near anything. Chickens will. They're really pretty, yeah, they're pretty amazing what they'll eat. So tell us a little bit about, I, I know I was just interested in your meat and dairy goat herd. Tell us about Ag Today. What is Ag Today? So Ag Today is a weekly broadcast that covers topics that we think are important to producers in Kansas, but also the Midwest. There's a podcast that goes out, so really anyone across the world can listen to it if they have access to podcasts. And so it's three segments, 11 minutes, 11 minutes, and five and just talking to extension experts in K-State or even sometimes venturing outside of K-State if the topics, there's not a perfect expert for it. Talking about cattle, talking about crops, insects, talking about biosecurity, health concerns for farmers, mental health. And so just a wide variety of topics that I personally think are important to producers and people involved in agriculture. Yeah, and I think it's right right in the title in that you don't we talk about cattle stuff, you talk about agriculture. And there's a broader spectrum there which I think is really important to cover. Yeah, you know, I can remember as a as a Kansas kid, as a Kansas kid growing up, uh, listening to Ag Today on the radio and, and I always liked the variety of topics. You know, I again my, my main interest was cattle growing up, but crops and and then just canning and just, just almost any topic that might be of interest. And so there's a long history at K-State of providing that kind of programming. What's kind of your feel for both the history and then the future? Where is, is it continuing the same thing or is it kind of evolving? It's both, I would say. We're Next year we celebrate 100 years and I hope, hope to be around to get to do that. I'm very excited. My predecessor, who I learned a lot from, was Eric Atkinson and just a guy who was a tough love kind of person but taught me a lot about radio and stuff because I didn't learn it in my degree program at K-State and so excited to kind of keep that going and what is agriculture and I think it's such a wide variety of topics and so I like to look at Ag Today as farmers and producers have families they have homes but they also have people they love and care for and livestock and crops and all these things are so important and I don't think there's just your stereotypical agriculturist anymore. And so I think covering a wide variety of topics is important to kind of hopefully make everyone felt seen. It seems like you have a pretty good partnership with Extension because most of the people you talk to are, are Extension, although not all. Yeah, and I never thought that I would be talking to these experts. I mean, I grew up doing 4-H, so I had that experience with Extension, but not the ex- experience of here's this expert who is a beef veterinarian who's been here for many years and is someone renowned that goes and talks to other people to tell them what they're thinking. And I'm a fresh out of college person talking to them so they can go on the radio. So as you go through the process, how, how do you keep up on the news, right? So you're providing news to other people. What's your process of how do I keep up to know what people want to talk about? So a lot of like the agronomy update or there's a beef tips newsletter. So I'm subscribed to about any newsletter that comes out of K-State Agriculture. And so I can continue like, oh, that's a really cool topic. I want to talk about that. I also have connections. I've been working on building that network of people of saying, if I miss something and you think it's important, please let me know. Also, I have supervisors and coworkers that are willing to give me ideas and topics and sometimes that triggers something else. But then also I just think about it from different perspectives of what's important to me and news-wise that I would like to know about, but then also my uncle or my mom or my dad and just kind of going of there's a bunch of different generations everywhere in agriculture and so what news would they like to hear what time of year it is and what's important during that time absolutely and that varies by time of year it also varies by what's going on in the both the world and the weather world right Mm -hmm. as we've gone through drought or we get rains and other things 
So we really appreciate you doing that. If you're interested in listening to Shelby on Ag Today, it's every day available on podcasts where you get your podcast, or there's the weekly version, which is a good chance to catch up on what's new in ag. Also, we have an Ask the Experts section on there, so that's usually on Wednesdays, I think, is when that comes out. So we appreciate you hosting that for us. And although I know we would all like to know more about Bob's canning interest, because that was the one topic he jumped on was how to can, but we're not going to have time to get into that because we're going to talk about other ways of product storage with Brian and Philip. One of the other things that I wanted to visit with you guys about today, and, and I think really relevant in the summer, is product storage. So Brian, there are times that we'll have things like antibiotics, dewormers, other products that we may have in the barn. Now, I know there are things that are labeled to keep in the fridge. Keep those in the fridge, no problem. But some of our barns this time of year get pretty darn hot. Is this something I need to be concerned about? Are there some products I worry about a little more than others? How should I handle that? So obviously, refrigerated products have to be refrigerated. And a long time ago, I heard a really good analogy that basically things like vaccine, treat them like a six pack of beer. Like and they're more valuable than that, but kind of want to keep them like, you know, once you open the can, you better finish the can, keep it cool, all those things. So, but yes, the other products, they're basically labeled for room temperature. And there is a little variation on what that is, but, you know, probably 55, 50 to 55, I think it's like 60 to 80 is what it is, but 55 to 80, something like that. So you're right. There are right this time of year, there are rooms in barns that well over a hundred degrees, especially if they 120, 130, you think about a car, right? They get up to 120 really quickly. So yes. And heat and actually extreme cold can change molecule drug molecules and have an impact on those so i do recommend temperature controlled storage so room temperature controlled storage for those products so temperature is one the other one that has a very dramatic impact on some products is actually sunlight exposure so you know we've seen drug products that are in amber bottles Um, that's because they are affected by sunlight, UV radiation, um, and it can diminish the effectiveness of those drug products. I guess one other thing that I'll mention is when you get to those extremes, it might not just be the drug that it affects. So in that bottle, there are other, we call them excipients. And so they're chemicals that either make the product more syringable, they contribute to the solubility of the drug. So it keeps it in a, a solution. And the temperature extremes can affect those as well. And so you can get basically lumps of material in the bottom of a bottle. I would say anytime you see that, if you have bottle of product where there's chunks floating or clumps of material, do not use that product, right? Just That's- like milk. Yeah. Well, we mentioned, so we're talking about beer and milk. Yeah. Yeah. Just like milk. So yeah, if, if the product isn't a nice consistent, if it doesn't have good consistency to it, do not use it because it could either affect the efficacy. So the product may not work in some cases, and it wouldn't be very common, but in some cases you could actually have toxic products that are, that result from that chemical change. You could have a a negative reaction because some of those precipitants that form when those reactions happen are taking some molecules out and Mm -hmm. adding some others or some other combinations 
we don't know right. what's happening in those cases. So, so I think product storage is really important. And one thing you can do, and I, and not always, but if you get one of those products where there's some sort of change, like you said, a precipitant, something about it, I would suggest you contact your veterinarian or whoever you bought that product from, they may be able to, if it was stored properly and it's still within the expiration date of the product, they may be able to return it. You can get a refund or replacement product. Not always, but it, it would at least be worth a try. Now, if you've mishandled the product, you probably aren't going to get anything back out of it. But yeah, it's worth a try. Well, and I think that's one of the things that's pretty easy to, the last time I used it, I just left it on the shelf in the shed or in the barn. And then I kind of forgot about it. And when I go back to it, those products are expensive. So I really probably need to get rid of that and get a new one. Focus on my handling plan. Well, and so we're talking about storage, but in different weather extremes, but so I'm going to work cattle here this summer and I got to have my vaccines and or whatever else out at the shoot side. What's the best way to, to handle those and keep those cool? I mean, this, even after you put it in the syringe and, and things like that. Yep. No, it's a great question. And I still remember being in practice in a somewhat Northern climate and having heating pads on the bed of a truck to keep vaccine from freezing probably wasn't optimal, but what I always tell people is just for for the products that need to be cold, cold, have a separate cooler with lots of ice packs in it, right? And even the syringes, put those in the cooler. And there, you can do things that are pretty creative, like you can punch holes in the top of a cooler to actually stick the vaccine syringe in. So you're not having to reach in and reach out, especially if you have exposed needles. You don't want to be doing that, but you can basically create a system where you've got two or three syringes and the cooler itself has ice in it and it's keeping the syringe cold from up. But even things that should be at room temperature or maybe light sensitive, I still recommend a, a cooler type system and you know one or two ice packs is probably enough to just keep the temperature somewhat normal. But setting a syringe of product on a hot tailgate is not a good idea or a hot truck hood, leaving it out in the sun for any period of time probably diminishes the effectiveness of that product. So it's kind of like I've had some recent discussions on heat stress and cattle, kind of the same things. Make sure they stay cool, keep them in the shade, you know, those kinds of. So a couple things to add to what Brian said. One, don't forget the importance of sunlight. With most of our products, especially if you're using modified live vaccine, you don't want it to get hot. So don't mix up any more than you need. Keep the product in the cooler, keep your other vaccines in the cooler, and then when you're using them, keep them out of the direct sunlight. I've seen people place a towel over the vaccines as they're sitting on the back of the tailgate. I only mixed up what I need, but in between animals, I'm putting it under a towel, I'm covering it, or I'm putting it in a cooler that doesn't have any ice packs, but as I stick it, you take that styrofoam cooler, cut out the holes, stick it in there, I'm keeping it in a spot that is out of the sunlight. Yeah. And it's not just vaccines, you know, things like it's not just tetracycline, oxytetracycline, very susceptible to sunlight. Yeah. Like stuff, stuff that comes in a dark or opaque bottle probably has a reason <laughs> behind it. They didn't do that just for marketing. It's actually for product handling and how you handle these products are, are actually really important. And I think great points there, Brian, on being sure that each time I get it to use it, Go ahead and take a look at it. There shouldn't be, we don't have products that you're going to be injecting into an animal or pouring on an animal that have chunks. Yep. Right? Should be chunk free. So excellent, Brian. Good, good advice there. Talking about product storage, especially in the summertime.
We're happy to be joined by a special guest today, Dr. Eduardo Bortoluzzi, who has joined us, and she's been working on her postdoc here with us with the Beef Cattle Institute. But you've got a new position. I do. Yeah, it's very exciting. So Dr. Eduardo is starting a, pres- a position as an assistant professor in animal welfare here at Kansas State. And so happy to have you with us today because we want to talk a little bit about animal welfare. Perfect. Philip, this is something you've been to several of the sustainability, different meetings, different topics. This has come up. What, what are your thoughts on the importance of this in the beef industry? Well, I mean, I think a couple of different things. I think in the beef industry, we do a, a pretty good job of animal welfare to begin with. But the consumers don't always know that and understand that. Obviously, there's some things we can continue to do better. But when you ask consumers one to define sustainability or what's the one number one thing they think of when you ask them about sustainability is animal welfare. It comes up to the top of the list in multiple different surveys that I've seen. And so it is very important for the beef demand and marketing aspect of the beef industry. So, Edward, I'm going to turn to you and I'm going to say, he asked about the definition of sustainability. I'm going to ask you, what's the definition of animal welfare? So animal welfare has a lot of different definitions depending on who you're talking to. The AVMA says that that's how the animal copes with their environment and how they deal with all the the things that they're seeing every day and it differs in temperature that we're seeing a lot. So that that's how the animal is behaving in their own environment. So the AVMA, the American Veterinary Medical Association, has a definition of how the animal kind of responds to their environment. Where does health and animal welfare, are those two different things or are they part of the same thing or how do those two interplay? So they can be the same thing. Animal welfare has measurement that we talk about that is based on health. So if we think about frameworks that we use to measure animal welfare, we have the five freedoms, which is the one that people are most comfortable with. We also have the three circles of Frazier. So those three circles are going to encompass big areas. So one of those is basic health and function, and that's where we look at the health of the animal. But we also have the natural environment of the animal, so how the animal is coping with the environment, and also the affective state. So that would be the behavior of the animal. So three, the three circles framework, which you like to use when you've evaluated your research, is you have the health you have the natural environment. So do they have an environment that they can exhibit natural behaviors? And then you have what behaviors are they exhibiting? And you're really looking to see that all three kind of overlap. And that that's how you've done a lot of your research on animal welfare. Give us an example of some of the research that you've done. Yeah, so we always try to aim to look for that middle part where those three circles kind of overlap to each other. So I did some research in neonatal calves so looking at their behaviors when they are born so the natural behavior that they have of standing up and uh, suckling colostrum which is important for their immune functions and also for their health and gain i've also looked into the behavior of piglets in nursery so how they are behaving at that time and how that can correlate with their health and if they're sick they display some behaviors they will like lay more and they will not interact with their ping mates, that type of things. So you can look into behaviors to tell how the animal is feeling and that 
that will in some instance correlate with their gains, uh, their overall growing and all the things that we look into performance. See, that's really interesting because a lot of times we think welfare, we say, well, maybe it's maybe it's this, maybe it's that. I, I really like how you have a specific definition. You have three circles that you're looking at. And then you were talking about the calf. So tell us a little bit more about your neonatal calf project. What did you learn through that project? What were some of the positives, negatives? What were some of the take-homes? Yeah, first, I think it's important to note how I I think the producers do a really good job in taking care of neonatal calves. We look at behavior and we look at welfare. We sometimes don't think we're doing welfare things, but we actually are. So one of the important things that we saw in our research is that if the calf is born and it doesn't stand up in two hours, that is an indication that the calf will not consume colostrum in a timely manner and that will affect how the gains of that calf will be and also their health so they are more prone to be sick afterwards so we want them to stand up in less than two hours and then start suckling so we want to be able to see them suckling and if they're not suckling then we need to assist that calf to ingest colostrum because you always follow these calves to at least weaning. Yes. And then you were able to tie back and say, okay, these behaviors that we're measuring, this welfare that we're measuring, that first two hours of life is important. If they didn't stand up during that time period, they were more likely to get sick. They didn't perform as well. So we need to probably intervene. Yes. And what happened in my projects is we managed those calves really closely so we had very little amount of those calves not having a great passive immune transfer which is having enough colostrum to keep them healthy but that is a problem when we're talking about like big pastures where sometimes we don't have access to those calves so we just want to make sure that we're doing some rounds and we're checking that that calf's standing up and suckling and walking with their their dam and not standing far away from the herd. Yeah, absolutely, because they need to be showing some of those same behaviors. So what are some of the next things that you're working on animal welfare-wise that you're thinking about as far as big issues that maybe there's some potential options for beef producers? I always look like to look into the neonatal behaviors. I think it's a very good measure of welfare, especially cow and calf. But I think we have a lot of potential to look into welfare, especially on feedlots doing some more research that we can use precision animal tools to help us identify sick animals, maybe start treating those animals a little early so we don't get into the far part of the disease where it's hard to treat them and get them back into health. So I think there's a lot of new technology that we can apply to any type of livestock production that we can help to make those decisions on treat or not, or remove that animal from the pen, look a little more closely into that animal if they're displaying a a different behavior from the rest of the herd. Yeah, absolutely. And we look forward to seeing some of your research. As I mentioned, Dr. Bortoluzzi has just joined the faculty here at Kansas State. We'll be doing animal welfare. Be a great person to reach out to if you have interest in animal welfare or some of the previous research she talked about today. And wanted to thank you for joining us as well. And if you have any questions, comments, or things you'd like us to talk about on a future episode, you can send us an email at bci.ksu.edu.